Bakwa magazine. Creative non-fiction. African literature. Short stories. Photography. Readings. Interviews. Literary criticism. Literature. Poetry. Comics. Photography. Music. Interviews. Literature. Critique. Bakwa. 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 Bakwa magazine. Hi, my name is Chasa Kamga and you're listening to an episode of BakwaCast, a podcast brought to you by Bakwa Magazine. On this episode of the podcast, we share a reading done by one of the facilitators of the Limbe Lagos Exchange Program. You remember that this program took place last year, in 2017, and it was a collaboration between Bakwa Magazine, Saraba Magazine, Goethe Institute in Nigeria, and the Goethe Institute in Cameroon. This reader is no other person than one of the co-founders of Saraba Magazine. Dami Ajayi is a poet, a short story writer, an essayist and a medical doctor. His latest book, A Woman's Body is a Country, which was published by Uida Books in 2017, was selected by Quartz Africa as one of the best books of 2017. Ten, 10 minutes. Um, I don't. I prepared fiction. I prepared poetry. Um, I should use this opportunity to advertise these two books. I don't want. I don't want to take them back to Nigeria. These are the only copies left. Okay. So just one copy now. No, you are going to Nigeria. Um, oh, that's yours. Oh. He, he said he said his hand first. Okay, hand maybe we'll auction it. I will not have another book, a book to sell. <laughs> well, um, so... Well, maybe I, I could auction it, you know. I should actually, okay, that's actually true, but... Uh, <laughs> so, um, I prepared fiction and poetry. Um, so, I don't know which one the crowd would like, you know. So, just imagine that I'm customer service now. For poetry, <laughs> for poetry, dial one. For fiction, dial two. One. Poetry, poetry. Poetry, poetry. You know the good poetry, poetry. Okay. Fine. Um, so, the book has three parts. There are love poems, and there are hospital poems, and there are barroom reflections. So, which, which do you want? Uh, one, two, three. Hospital, hospital poems. Hospital poems. No, <laughs> 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 
Okay, I'll indulge um, Godwin and read love poems. So this, um, I'll start with a poem called um, Table for Two. One, men can alter their fates too, singe their signatures with ink, without second thoughts, without fretting actions. Inaction doesn't appropriate fate's big hands, doesn't give credence to justice, for justice is a small bed with a big beak. Two, when I break out of this dream of mine, I shall remember how betrothed you are. I shall remember covetousness, Ten Commandments. I shall let them hang like hidden keys of the firmaments. Meanwhile, let this May rains wash us clean of discord. Let this shriveled umbrella not save us from this pelting justice. Let us be drenched like conspiratorial vultures and let locked high seek escape from forbidden affection. Three, when the drunk returns home, knocking your window pane, will you shut your louvers against him? Will you wish him away with these toxic words, these words that are false and heartfelt, these gorgeous words that leap out of your throat with reverence? These often questions beg at your doorstep for bread. My heart is a split pod exposed for your amusement, but still you do not laugh. For I've prepared a table for you in the absence of friends, enemies. I've served my heart in a fragile casserole. I've made a meal of my affection, meat. Bon appétit. Okay, so I wrote this book. Um, I published this book four years ago, um, three years ago. I wrote this book three, six years ago. Um, it, w it was a very long journey getting it published. Um, and you know, you put in everything you have because it's your first book. I mean, maybe be your last book and all. And um, it, I was quite, quite, kind, of, kind of disappointed that the poems that um, are preferred or that are well received are the sex poems and the love poems. And the serious poems are, well, nobody reads them. Um, so um, I'll just read one of them because I mean, everybody's, everything has been gloomy all day. And so I'll just read some sex poems. So this is called Congee Blues. Um, for Ni Ni the Nigerians know what Congee means. Congee is, um, it's quite difficult to translate into English. But Congee, um, Congee is like libido, like libido, yeah. So. <laughs> So the poem is the poem is very libidinal. Um, so this is um, called um, it's good, two poems, actually three. Oh, is it one? no? The three, the third one didn't make the cut. Um, so this is Congee Blues one. Baby, take off your cool. That brief frock that I bought above your knees. Let me unclasp you, free you of all earthly girders. Baby, take off your cool. Take a cue from my shredded garment. I'm wearing God's image only. Be my mirror. Gilded reflections exaggerate. Your beauty cannot be overemphasized. Imperative it has become to lead you down this conjugal tunnel. This is about organic gifts. Discovery is the new mutualism. And at worst, we are commensals. Then, baby, slip out of your propriety. Let it drop beside your cool. Two. The first time was raw like the pickled onions in a salad of insatiable libido. Bodies glued with passion as sweat 
wriggle down flesh with serpentine recklessness. Our shining skins opposed to each other with the keenness of sandwich. As her eyes held at anchor and we bleated our hunger in microscopic decibels of bed tones. Voices rose above skins and ceiling and trashed about like our feelings. We saw it coming. Orgasms of many promises, wishes and cold, cold nights when only memories sufficed. We saw it going. Dregs of formality strolling out of bodies like souls and what could we have done rather than grapple the moment and grab each other? I'm sorry. I have no regrets. We saw it coming. I'm still in the same vein or the attitude of nonsense poems. Um, memories revisited. One day I'll write a poem about all the sketchy women I've known but not today. Today I will stare at love's charred face hoping to catch a glimpse of the glitch that broke the woman in you. Do not let role play and sex baits digest our appetites for ourselves. Let your tight tongue drop deep thongs into my ear, fire up my primal instinct. I remember how tasteful sexual interludes tinctured our frail nerves, mangled etiquettes. If only you were patient enough, I would have shown you ripped condoms. But the swells of your breast gave themselves to anger instead. I knocked and shut your door three times, three times before. Break up instructions. We do not need an intense courtroom drama to let me go, let me fall to the ground through gravity's fingers like slippery china. So much for favorite cockery rendered imperfect by factory errors, factual terrors. We do not need physical contact to let me go. A keypad and internet subscription will suffice. Make it coordinate. I choose to let you go. Leave the memories in the incinerator. Autoclave yourself. Draw a long bath and let your rope go. Do it slow. I will not need a fresh anki for sclerosis tear dots. That knife will not pinch through the titanium shield over my ribcage. But cold words will. Um, so this is The Anatomy of She, um, which is a very funny poem. I, I'll just read it. Little you, beauty can't be more truncated, fanned out like blossoming June flowers. You swept yourself out of heaven quick on a parachute. Were you also in a hurry when you plopped out of mom's perineum into the unwelcoming gloved midwife's hands? Did you cry at once or naughty you kept still, amplifying the room's tension till you were served a backlash and your first cry ripped out? I must have buried my first milk tooth then, not so far away, but flung far enough to have been tucked away from you before these last days came and were set like bread and glue. Little you, with a quirky nose that deserves freckles, your hair patterned like the footpath of some place I would rather be. Your fragrance stares me, steals me, every time your voice lingers in the crevices of my hair, trilling my ossicles with little jolts. How our tongues dwelled on the cusp of stolen kisses, soft kisses are best met on pliable leaves, best taken in dark corners. 
let's still yet again another night to sit and enjoy daybreak like sandwiches at Case Chippy, nodding to Panam Pasipal's tunes. Thereafter, let me hold you tight like a bodice. Let's take caution off like our clothes and dive nose deep into the deep riches of passion. Uh, I've changed now. I've, I've really changed. Um, these are these are young man's poems, so they are, they are, I don't write this kind of poetry often anymore. They were, they were, they were a reflection of my days in um, in the university town of Ife, which is um, southwest Nigeria. Um, so I mean, it's it feels good to be reading this kind of exuberant poems in another university town in another country. Um, I don't know how much time I still have, um, but I know that I, I'll have enough to read a, another poem, I guess. <laughs> okay, it's all right. Do you want me to read fiction? Um, okay, then I could read fiction, because I mean, I guess fiction is also nice. <laughs> sometimes I, I, sometimes I, actually forget, I actually forget I'm a fiction writer. Um, I'm, you so know, just a small portion of the letters. Just a small portion. Okay. Okay. So um, this is this. Um, I write a lot about, or I mine a lot of my stories and writings, obviously from biography and stories I get told. Um, so I'm going to read some part of a story, um, which is which I wrote based on a character. I once heard about a certain doctor. He's not a friend. He's a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend. Who um, was a drunk, really, um, very destructive fellow, and it was said, and oh, it was it was it was often said that this fellow um, once usually accosts women who in the STI clinic. STI clinic is where people get treatment for you know all sorts of venereal diseases, including HIV. In fact, the story was that this guy once um, approached uh, and propositioned a lady who had HIV, even though he was married and he said he was, he was going to sleep with her. Not out of pity, but maybe out of pity, but out of love and or out of just the need to, to be reckless. Because, I mean, it's, clear, it's clearly reckless behavior for someone to decide to want to sleep with someone who you know their HIV status. So I, I was fascinated by it and I wanted to write a story, um, but eventually I ended up writing another story. But um, this story is about a fellow who is a drunk and his wife is very keen on making him not be a drunk. So, yeah. So the title of the story is called A Quest for Sobriety. It's published on, on Jalad, Jalada. Yeah, so it was published like two or three years ago. But I'll just read a small part of it. Just let me know when time is up, so I'll just stop. Alice's scheme for her husband's sobriety arches in her dreams, for she wakes up the next morning with a start. In less than five minutes, without considering weekend house chores or even the possibility of the mandatory environmental sanitation that is held on the last Saturday of every month, she waltzes out of her room dressed in a blouse wrapper and air tie of the same batik fabric. Still played on the chair, lifeless save for his whistling snores is Olo, her husband of two years. His last night's dinner still lies on the stool, untouched, probably rancid, but this is the least of her concerns. She's, she eases as she adjusts her wrapper and, set, and steps into the brand new day. Alice walks a short distance to the junction and flags down a languid taxi. The poor taxi's chassis cringes as she lowers her weight into the passenger seat. 
She attempts and fails to shut the door three times. It takes the timely intervention of the frustrated driver who overstretches his hand across her gravid belly to shut the door properly. Door firmly shuts the old Datsun whose road performance may be attributed to a resilient mechanics industry coughs ashen bellows of smoke as it crosses towards a destination. It takes Alice three hours of vehicular travel and another long winding walk to arrive at her destination, Paolo Mladi's compound at Owena. She's greeted by the rustic smell of village life, a cat using a wooden branch as a runway on the balcony appraises her. She unbolts the small door at the entrance and walks into the living room where she finds a father-in-law's trophy wife admiring herself in the mirror the size of her palm. Aike stops and frowns. She leers at Alice like she would Olo's mother. Olo's mother was one of the kept women from Paolo Mladi's railway days, heydays when he flung his wild oats between the legs of Nubao girls whose villages are along the strange route. How ironic it is that Paolo Mladi's legitimate children had not turned out well. His first son attempted and failed several to sell several times to sell his father's his father's only house to an agro-allied NGO. His first daughter, a retired tailor and twice a widow, recently moved back to her father's compound when her late husband's family flung out the lightest of her personal belongings after a Saturday family meeting. <laughs> Worse, she's also barren. This rather confounding turn of events irked Pa Ologunlade's wife and they regard Olo's mother with such potent and long-suffering envy that it has invariably passed down to her daughter-in-law wife of the illegitimate star son of Paolo Gunlade, the retired railway worker. With both hands sitting on the upper edge of her wrapper, Alice greets her father-in-law's latest wife, a mere girl, certainly her younger sister's mate. Without anticipating any form of response, she proceeds to ask after her father-in-law. Aike busy in the mirror points in the direction of the backyard. Smoke walls from Paolo Gunlade's tobacco pipe obscuring his lean frame in the reclining wooden chair. Dr. Janarian indulges in a postprandial smoke as his daughter-in-law kneels before him. His response nearly goes down the wrong pipe, making him cough and sit up and pat her back while still coughing adversely from a cancerous growth that will eventually rid him of his life. Sorry, sir, sorry, sir, Alice says with clear-eyed concern. The old man puffs again from his tobacco pipe. I'm okay, my daughter. How are you and your husband? We see you today. I hope there's nothing wrong. Or did the husband send you with the usual? He smiles the suggestive smile of a corrupt corporal. Not at all, Baba. The son is well. Everything is fine. For now. For now? Yes, Baba, for now. I've come to report your son to you. Has he stopped giving you food money? No. Did he stop shaking you vigorously in the embrace of the night? No. Ha! Was he rude to our in-laws? No, Baba, he wasn't. I see. He dares not. He knows the kind of father who served him. So what has he done? Baba, he keeps late nights, indulges in too much drink, returns home drunk, stinking of other women. Paolo Gunlade bursts into a spasm of laughter that makes him sit up again from his reclining position. Just when Alice thinks he's done, he rouses into it again, laughing the knowing laugh of the wise. Permit me to thank you for that needful laugh, Amokwe. You see, I don't seek to make a mockery of your report or trivialize its importance, but I find it really funny. Let me ask you, how many wives do I have? Three, sir. Alice, Alice says, showing three fingers. And how many concubines? I say this respectfully, sir, but I can't say. Exactly. There are some things you shouldn't say as a wife. These women who smell you perceive on your husband. 
Do they come to harass you at your home? No. Did they willay you at the marketplace? She shook her head. Perhaps they pounced on you at the market and ripped open your blouse. No. So you see, these women are lesser than you and they know their place as such. Why don't you also be the elephant that does not see but no but, Samakwe? Have I lowered myself to, be sh to the level of sharing talk time with you? I'm sorry, Baba. Forgive me. Did you perchance hear about your husband's grandfather, my father? No, I didn't. He was a warrior, a hunter, and fiercely handsome man. Tall and sexy, women loved to kiss the contours of his rippling muscles. He lived well, married many women, sad many more children, and died at the ripe age. On the evening he was going to answer the call of the gods, he walked outside to, the, to, the, to welcome the late evening palm wine tapper. He drank to his fill and died while his wife pounded his yam. A drink was his last meal. I'm okay, my daughter. Sir, I'm okay. Sir, go home to your husband. Thank you. You love the poetry? More than the fiction? I better stop writing fiction. <laughs> oh, this, um, this is the last copy, which has been already... Uh, I don't know, maybe we'll auction it. Okay. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah. What's in your book on that table actually increases the chance of voting for you to get more copies? Okay. I get they're my host, so I guess I gotta give them the copy. But the book is available on Kindle and um on Kindle. You can get a Kindle copy if you very much like. Um I don't know how soon how soon I'll find people coming to Cameroon, but the book is essentially going out of print. I guess there's about hundred copies left everywhere, so um very soon. Um we'll discuss it. Later <laughs> in coming. Um, so your fiction. Yeah. So I'm going to take this out of the story. So in this in Africa now, when the man cheats on the woman, the woman is expected to swallow it. Mm. So and in the story, the way the story ends, the father. Of the no, this is not the end. This is just a, a part of the story. Oh, okay. An except. Just an except. Well, where you ended, the father is advising the daughter to go back to the mom. The father is advising the daughter-in-law yeah, to, to go, go back. back. Yeah, to go so, back home. So, I don't know, does your story kind of try to give the woman a voice? Or is it still taking away the voice from the woman? Because when a man cheats on a woman, society tells the woman, swallow it and sit in your husband's so, <laughs> I guess. So does your story in a way try to provide a solution to that? Because I think stories should not be all about just telling well, and telling and creating. Well, the, it should be about giving... Giving the woman a voice. Oh, well, as much as possible, I very much of the opinion that what two consenting adults have decided to do with their life is nobody's business. And that's my own personal opinion. Um, and. That also reflects in the way this, the, the story resolves, the conflict resolves. Because eventually, essentially, the, the woman takes this same conversation back to her husband. And they have a meaningful conversation about it. And um, well, am I giving away too many spoilers? But I guess, um, yeah, 
I, 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 I very much believe that people should. Um, I believe that marriages are private. Yeah, I believe that you know, even though we like the idea of. I mean, there's a way in Africa, maybe in Nigeria, I mean, you, maybe Yoruba um, society where they believe that the wedding actually is a marrying of two families together. I still very much think that, you know, whatever two people decide to do with themselves is their business. And that also played out in the way I tried to resolve the um, conflict of the story. Because eventually she went to her, um, her father-in-law, then she went to her mother. And both of them gave different advices, you know, different sets of counsel. And eventually, she did what she wanted to do. Yeah. So, um, okay, the last question. Hi, just, just a minute. Um, very good um, week, by the way. I really like the idea of the My question is this. If she came to you as you, what would be your advice? Check the guy into a psychiatric hospital. Uh, if she came to me, if uh, Alice came to me to um, ask her uh, what to do to her husband, who is a drunk, uh, check him into a hospital now. <laughs> I mean, I, in my day, in my day, my day job is actually that um, I work. I work as a, um, a psychiatrist in uh, Yaban Psychiatric Hospital. So um, I very much understand that um, using substances, alcohol, marijuana, cocaine, heroin, all pretty much addiction problems, you know, especially when you're taking a substance to the extent that it's beginning to affect yourself and your family, your immediate family, your relationships, um, your relationships at work and relationships at home and society in general. It's a, it's a, it's a disease, an illness, um, which essentially, if you also look at the story, uh, his grandfather was a drunk too, you know, who, who died drinking perhaps. So, you know, it's also underscores the, the um, the the way um, the gen there's a genetic component to um, to drinking. I mean, drinking many times run in families and all that. So um, if I was asked, uh, that's that's kind of advice I'd give. <laughs> Take him to Yaba or something. <laughs> yeah. You know that some some people consider um, sobriety overrated, right? Um, yeah, I, I'm also one of them. Okay. <laughs> so I, I think after this, the two of you. <laughs> so, have I been let go? I hope you enjoyed this reading by the author and make sure you leave a review on iTunes. That's going to be really amazing for us. You'll boost up our podcast and don't forget to share as well on your social media platforms. We are at Bakwakas everywhere.